0: Welcome to sports Beat KC, a sports podcast of the Kansas City Star. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Vahe Gregorian and I will talk about the Chiefs, and later Sam McDowell and I will discuss supporting KC. Vahe, not that we ever need an occasion to talk about the Chiefs, uh, but one presented itself this week with Phase 1 of OTAs.
1: I can't believe you stole my line about phase one. Who knew it was even called phase one until yesterday? Is that a new designation? I
0: didn't know what phase one was until (laughs) it was announced that yesterday was phase one of OTAs, (laughs) uh, which is, uh, you know, off-season training activities. And as
1: as I understood phase one, Blair, it has to do with no coaching on the field, uh, film review, chats with players, and uh, they're allowed to go out and Uh, you know, throw the ball around.
0: Basically, without coaching, right? Uh, So Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and whoever else can go out and and play catch. They just can't have coaching supervision. So there's your definition of phase one of um, uh, of OTAs, soon to be followed by phases two and three. (laughs) And we'll keep you updated on those phases. But meeting the media was also one of the uh, uh, activities of uh, phase one. So we got to talk with Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey. We waited about a half an hour for Patrick Mahomes, NFL MVP, starting to feel it maybe a little bit. Uh, although,
1: I, although it, you're right, I was starting to think, was there a little diva going on there? But I don't think so, right? I think, I think we can say, we can come back to him later, but I think we can feel pretty good about him still seeming unspoiled despite all this.
0: I think that's true, and I, I, I'm kidding around, of course. But uh, but a an activity that was supposed to take about 45 minutes ended up enduring for about an hour and a
1: half. <laughs> like phase two and phase three for us. <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah,
0: <laughs> all at once. But one player that we did not hear from yesterday uh, directly was Tyreek Hill, but he was a topic yesterday, and he was a topic of your column. What uh, Walk us through what what your thoughts were as we were listening to Andy Reid get questions about Tyreek Hill, and then at some point you decided to make that the subject of a column.
1: Yeah, you know, first of all, it was sort of the elephant not in the room or however you want to put it. I mean, Tyreek Hill being there was news in itself, I think, even though, you know, the more you explore it, the more you understood this is kind of the default position until there's any penalty invoked or, or if, I should say, Um, Given the investigations surrounding him right now, or involving him, I think is actually the the important word to use there. Not surrounding him necessarily. So there was a little bit of an odd, incompatible thing to reconcile with. Okay, on the very day we get the information that he's the investigation's continuing and still involves him, here he is at camp. What does it mean? And I think as we discussed this afterwards, and and for our listeners, they might be interested to know this. You know, usually we. We all try to get in there. There were four of us asking questions yesterday: Sam Melinger, Sam McDowell, you and me. And we try to take a sort of sweeping approach and then get together and review it and try to think about what what the, the moments are and the things that are right. worth exploring. And um, I think we just felt like it needed to be said that that uh, this does not necessarily mean that he's going to be here in the future.
0: So let's let's go back and uh, and and just. Uh uh, for those who haven't been keeping up with, with the news, take us back to wh- why this is a pertinent topic, What, uh, uh, why Tyreek Hill's been in the news.
1: Well, in mid-March, um, the Star reported that um, Johnson County uh, DA's office, uh, Overland, is it, I can't remember if it's Overland Park Police, but uh, the DA's office, and the, we also got confirmation that the Kansas Department of uh, Children and Family Services was investigating, uh, Various allegations of, of things happening at the home Tyreek Hill shares with his fiance Crystal Espinal, and their three-year-old son. Um, at that point, the chiefs acknowledged that they knew uh, Tyreek Hill was involved in this, and they basically reserved comment that they have uh, continued to reserve since. Um, even yesterday, as Andy spoke about it, I mean, the farthest he would go would be he's basically with us now. I don't know if that sums it up enough, Blair. But but that that's
0: well. The other, I think the other um, revelation, if you want to talk about it, was he said hello to to Tyreek Hill. He said, "Yeah, he saw him earlier and said hi," and <laughs> that's you know it's not insignificant because there was there had been some discussion about whether there should be any sort of just contact between the coaches and Tyreek Hill.
1: Yeah, I mean we're making light of this, but uh, but Andy uh, at the owners' meetings, Andy Reid said that uh, he'd been instructed by counsel not not to. Talked to us, Tyree. Kill. Initially, it made me think of the Seinfeld episode where Kramer's trying to call the bankers on whether they said hello or hi. Um, I don't know what Andy actually said to him. Um, by the way, I think every podcast we do, we need at least one Seinfeld reference, if you don't mind. And I know you're more nimble on this than me, but well,
0: uh, there has been one <laughs> in in each <laughs> in, in each podcast. So so yeah, there was a little. Um, uh, to me, that was the news of the day. I mean, on a day in which there really wasn't a lot of news to come out of this occasion, uh, you know, we we did we did learn that Travis Kelsey was no longer wearing the the walking boot, but he won't probably will not participate in any of the uh, once this uh, start once OTA start to ramp up and there's some some real practicing with coaches, he's not going to be involved uh, with that. it it so it appears. So it
1: appears. although you're making me think of this with Travis, um, you know questions kind of hinted at but didn't quite go to um, Travis's uh, pose at the uh, at the uh, final four. Uh, the, the meme, do you say meme or mem? I still never know. Is it meme?
0: We'll go with meme,
1: okay? The meme of him, uh, just chugging down a drink.
0: I was gonna say the pose, the pose. <laughs> his pose was with his head back, right? A, yeah, right behind Patrick's light going, going down his <laughs> gullet,
1: kind of iconic. <laughs> um, so you know, I don't know how that plays into the rest of, of the stuff. I guess he's healthy enough to be out and about in public, but not quite ready to be running around. And and um, you know, we'll we'll see how that unfolds. I don't. Get, we're not picking up any chatter that you know the season's in danger or anything like that it's just how soon will he be ready to kind of get y- going
0: yeah I don't think he would have been out there meeting the media yesterday yeah. if there was some question about his availability later this season so Patrick Mahomes spent you know 10 12 minutes with the media any impression from from his uh, his time with with us yesterday
1: Well it was interesting we were referring to this a little bit earlier and and I, I think this has really held true. And you can notice it almost a month or so, or just after a month or so into the season, when he was, you know, like Elvis and the Beatles in Kansas City. Everywhere he goes, he's he's all the rage, and he seems utterly unaffected by this. Um, and it's only ramped up more, as you noted in your story today, all the sponsorships, all the attention. I mean, he became like one of the stories of the Final Four, which I, I, I you know, nobody at Texas Tech was taking exception to that. But at some point, is, is he really the story? It was incredible.
0: <laughs> yes. um, so so uh, Texas Tech played on Saturday. They, be, they beat Michigan State in the semifinals, and he was the only, if I, if I remember this correctly, the only Tech person in the stands who was shown on the on the big screen. And, of course, he gave them the muscle flex, and the place went nuts for it. But on Monday night when Tech played in the championship game, they managed to find uh, Michael Crabtree and you know a couple other Tech alums. Maybe they weren't there Saturday or not, but at least he shared some of the – so some of the spotlight that night.
1: Well, and you're making me think of that with the muscle flex. It kind of I think another, uh, and it seems so genuine because it comes so easily to him. Right, yesterday he's asked about, basically it's, the arms are referred to in one of the questions. You look bigger uh, if you put on muscle. And Patrick's first response is, "I hope it's muscle." And I, I so there's this this really interesting dynamic with him of exuding confidence, but not a whiff of arrogance and. Being self-deprecating and being accessible, and certainly that applies to our dealings with him. I, I I think he's sort of unfailingly pleasant, and actually typically really tries to help and gives you insights, much like Alex Smith uh, did did before him.
0: And maybe maybe that's something he learned by observing Alex Smith, and and which are. If it is, that would be one of many, you know, things that he learned from watching Alex Smith. At least, so he says.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. It seems seems pretty clear.
0: Right. Um, so it was good to, you know, just to kind of get back into the football mode, the Chiefs, and they will they will remain in football mode um, for the next several weeks because next week is the NFL Draft, the the annual uh, three day festival uh, known as the draft, and uh, you you will have. Wall to wall coverage in um, in the Star about that, including a, a, maybe a podcast or two leading up to leading up to the draft, and uh, and then we get into the the, the 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 rookie mini camp follows that, and then the full squad OTAs, and it's not really until mid June that. The doors close temporarily at, uh, at uh, over at Arrowhead, and the team packs up and goes to training camp a month later in St. Joe. So, plenty of Chiefs to talk about over the next uh, several weeks, couple of months actually. But I, I wanted to bring something else uh, to your attention, and it was a it was a Chiefs moment today in in Leawood uh, that wasn't uh, directly related to what happens on the field, and that was the memorial service. For Walter White, a Chiefs tight end from uh, the late 70s, early 80s, played five seasons. He was a starter just one year, Uh, wore number 88, uh, oddly enough, Mm -hmm. the same number as as Tony Gonzalez, played the same position. There were close to 1,000 people at this memorial service. For for a player whose career was, I don't want to say nondescript, that's not fair, but he was a you know, he wasn't a pro bowler. You know, he was a serviceable tight end on some pretty kind of mediocre Chiefs teams. But this person had an incredible impact on on the Chiefs organization as a, you know, I kind of think of it as almost a Jimmy Carter presidency. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a, you know, had his pros and cons as president, but he's the greatest ex-president <laughs> of all time with his accomplishments. Walter White, and, and Carl Peterson formed the Ambassadors. The Ambassadors are uh, the group of Chiefs alumni, ex-players that, uh, that represent the team at social and charitable functions and raise a lot of money for, for charity. He was in on the ground floor of that organization, and it's it's massive. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's quite a, you know, quite a thing. And, and I was so impressed with his story and his life that I didn't know much about, really, until he passed away last week. And so I'm, I'm at the memorial service, and among the speakers there were Travis Kelsey and Dustin Colquitt, Bill Moss, uh, Bobby Bell, you know, Chiefs old and new, you know, from from um, you know the original Chiefs to the to the current Chiefs. Um, it was it was really moving and touching, and uh, and I'm glad I was there.
1: I I'm especially glad this happened because um, it, it, like you or much like you I should say I really didn't know anything about him before this, and. To see someone appreciated that way, um, it, I don't know if getting his due is the right term, but to see that outpouring of love for somebody that has sort of been off the radar for some years, it's, it's really reassuring and nice to know the organization felt that way about it. I actually got an email from Carl Peterson um, who who had, as you noted, been on the ground floor with this and, and Carl was very, very moved about it. And I'm especially glad you, you wrote a story about it the other day and you went to this today. I believe we had in the paper just yesterday his just basic obituary, eight-line obituary in our obituary section. I was reading it and I thought I I wouldn't have known anything about it if not for what you wrote and and seeing the chiefs and others um get engaged in this.
0: The stories that were told were just were hilarious. I mean it, and and, uh, and there was a band there. Uh he, oh. his favorite band was was playing uh Who Mot- was the band? Motown hits. Oh, I, it was a, it was it was, it was really great. it was really well done. So on that note, Vahe thanks for joining me. I'm talking Chiefs and we'll be right back to talk Sporting Kansas City with Sam McDowell. Hey, it's Blair Kirkoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on kansascity.com, and it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just 8 cents a day or 250 a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at kansascity.com/sportspass. Sporting KC will play to more draws this season, but the 2-2 outcome in Sunday's home game against the New York Red Bulls came packed with plenty of meaning. I'm Blair Kirkoff and Sporting KC beat writer Sam McDowell joins Sports Beat KC to help us break it down. Sam, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Blair. Good, good. Hey, let's um, let's start with um, the end of the New York Red Bulls game, and sort of work backwards from there. So Sporting is down two to one, and I'm thinking as the second half is unfolding, this is going to be a ugly loss. First of all, they don't lose at, they don't lose at home very often. But in the 88th minute, something happens that has happened in each of the previous two games. And, um, and it's pretty noteworthy what happens. Take us through what happened in the 88th minute.
2: Yeah, it's sort of become a, a trend now with Gianluca Buzio. He just always seems to be right place, right time, which for a 16-year-old kid says a lot just about his instincts within the game. And he ties up the match on, on really a ball that sort of pinballs around around the penalty area. And uh, like I said, he's just sitting on the back post, which is exactly where he should be, and he's got an easy tap in. And, and you might look at it and say – well, you know, a lot of us could have scored that goal. Heck, you and I probably could have tapped that in. But on the other hand, you look at the buildup beforehand, and the natural instinct might be to follow the ball because you've only got a couple minutes to try and tie up the match. But he gets into an open space, and I, I think that was the key to that to that play.
0: I'm sorry did you did you mention his age?
2: Yeah, 16 years old.
0: 16 <laughs> years old. So put that into. What historical perspective is he the he's, is he the youngest MLS player of all time? Or? It seems like
2: every game he's breaking some sort of record, especially since he's scoring. But he's the youngest uh, uh, player to ever score at Children's Mercy Park, and he did that a couple weeks ago in the seven one win against Montreal. He's the youngest homegrown player in sporting Kansas City history and uh, the second youngest player overall in, in MLS history. Freddie Adu, who signed with D.C. years ago now, uh, was supposed to be a big coup, and it just it didn't work out. And I think because of all the hype that went with it, and uh, I think we'll talk a little bit more about Buzio, but the, he's got a good head on his shoulders that I think gives him a little bit more path to success. Freddie would do. He'd be on the seniors tour now. Yeah, I think he's played for about a dozen teams now since he was supposed to be the next big thing. <laughs> I remember
0: when he came up; how big a deal that was to have a sixteen, the next American, you know, the young American star. But um, but uh, Buzio is he's American. He's from Greensboro, North Carolina. Played with the Fusion. Is that the club team yep. in North Carolina? Yep. His dad's Italian. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think he holds dual citizenship. Right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. He does. I mean, technically, because he's, he's, you know, he plays with the United States youth national teams and he'll probably be playing in a World Cup later this year with the U 17s. But until you actually be, play, start playing with the senior team, he still has that possibility open to where he, he could be playing with the with the Italian national team if he wanted to. How did Sporting find him? It, it's funny, you know, the academy systems these days, people view that as the way to grow their own teams now, especially in MLS. And it's, it's almost like what you see in college recruiting as far as basketball and, and football specifically, that's what these academy the clubs are doing now that's that's what Sporting Kansas City did they they recruited him at a showcase out in North Carolina and the, the funny the reason I say it's funny is the the interesting thing about it is college coaches aren't even allowed to talk to kids there that's right. <laughs> but you've got all these academy directors recruiting you there and it's just sort of it's sort of the same thing it's just not for college it's to, to come to your academy and, and sure enough he, he visited Philadelphia he visited Seattle and he visited Sporting Kansas City and uh, the words that he said were that they treated him like a star. He already felt like he was a star when he came to Kansas City, and that, that's the reason he picked here.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. And, and those words that he said, um, he said to you just a little while ago, because you went and spoke with him out at the out at the complex. Um, tell me a little bit more about him. What did you learn, and and what what makes him interesting besides him being 16 years old?
2: Yeah, I mean, you sort of when you when you talk to him. Forget the fact that he's 16 years old because of the way he talks. You know, obviously it took him a little bit to to figure out uh, exactly the, this path that he's on. Because you think about it, he hangs out at the complex from about 8:30 every morning to about two o'clock in the afternoon, and he's hanging out in an adult world. I mean, he's, he's the only kid there, and, and they do treat him a little bit like a little brother, a lot in a little bit of a loving and, and joking sort of way. But um, he, he's wise beyond his years. You know, he's sort of an old soul in a 16-year-old's body that's, that's doing this thing that's a professional sport that, you know, he's had – 18,000 people out there watching him play every week. What, what would have been a reasonable
0: expectation for him? Because I, I'm assuming three goals in three games is beyond reasonable expectation. Oh, for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, when they signed him as a 15-year-old, the plan was to not play him at all the rest of the year for the senior team, to keep him in the academy, and initially that's what they did. And then last year, he came on much more quickly once they integrated him into practice. And they, they, Peter Vermees just thought, this is a guy that could help us off the bench. And all of a sudden, he comes in late in matches. And this year specifically, I think, because of that experience he got last year, you're seeing actual contribution on the field. Heck, he started twice. And I, I think that's going to be a, a trend going forward is you're going to see him play more and more minutes simply because he's earned it. He's one of their best three midfielders right now.
0: You know... We can't get too far ahead of ourselves here, but it's easy in the United States to get excited about a young player like this because this happens in other countries, right? Yeah. I mean, the prodigies occur in in other soccer playing nations. I, I going back to Freddie Adu, I just remember the it was so unusual to have a, a great player at that age, or what we thought was a great player at that age, develop. Should should we tap the brakes a little bit here with uh, with him, or or do, do we just kind of go all in on on, on on him being maybe a future star for this sport nationally. You,
2: you have a good example here in Kansas City because Gideon Zellalama, a kid that they signed last month for Sporting Kansas City, was also supposed to be the next big thing. He went and signed with Arsenal's Academy when he was 16 years old. Well, he's back here with Sporting Kansas City, and he, he's not playing with Sporting Kansas City. He's not one of their preferred options, and it just shows you that in his, he's 22 now, and he's still such a young kid, and some people think, well, he's just not who we thought he was. And we're talking about just a 22-year-old kid. So in six years, a lot can happen, but you asked what, what struck me most about the conversation with Buzio, and that's it. He realizes that. He, he's not a kid that seems to get ahead of himself. He you know, f- literally focuses at, at one point with his mom and when he was on the phone. He, he said he just takes it. So his mom told him just take it one day at a time. If it's tough, if it seems like you're out there living on your own in Kansas City, just get through the day and then get through the next one. And I think that that has really rung true with him and, and just sort of stayed with him over the years.
0: How about that? I think I read he'll be 17 next month. Is it a May? He's got Today. a May birthday. Yep. So yeah. okay. All right, so he scores the, the you know, he's in the right place at the right time to get the game-tying goal against the Red Bulls, a game in which it looked like Sporting had almost kicked away. I mean, that they take the lead on the Johnny Russell goal in the yeah. in the 24th minute. And then and then the Red Bulls pick up two and I'm like I said, I'm watching the second half of that game thinking, "Oh my gosh, how this was not going to be easy to explain or would it be as a something of a hangover cuz it's the first game after the the second leg of the uh, CONCACAF competition yeah. right
2: yeah, yeah they, they obviously got blitzed in Monterey, uh, and then same thing really happened at home. They scored twice in the first half, so the scoreline looks a little bit better, but I think they're just overmatched in that game. There's probably a little bit of an intimidation factor, and you're right, you're, you're looking to see how they respond three days later. It's largely the exact same group that was on the field for that Monterey series, and I do think that that played a factor on Sunday in the second half. They weren't that great. Um, it's, a, it's a much easier opponent with when you're playing a fellow MLS team, but... There's a a lot of soccer is about being in form, and a lot of being in form is a lot is about confidence, and and certainly your confidence has to be rattled a little bit after what you experienced against the Mexican team.
0: And let's talk about that. Let's just talk about what happened against Monterey and Sporting. Not only Sporting, but MLS went into that leg, that uh, that round. It's the semifinal round, right? Yep. no, no MLS team had
2: gotten this far, so they go. There was a couple teams that have been to the finals, but nobody's ever won it.
0: Okay, uh, but but Sporting got this certainly as far as Sporting's ever got. Correct. Yeah, and there was just some some great anticipation for this. I mean, there was a, there was the talk beforehand about how to you know, who to play and how to how to adjust the the lineups with the with the MLS regular season games and. And and the uh, the competition. Why g- going in? I, I know this is kind of uh, retro now, but going in, why was the Concacaf competition important? And what what uh, what would have been the best case scenario? Of course, was for sporting to win this and to play for the for the championship next
2: week. Why was it important, though? I think because nobody's ever done it. So you know, every every year somebody wins MLS Cup, right? And and Sporting's done that before. And specifically, this core group of players. When you look at guys like Graham Biesler, um or Graham Zusi, Matt Beasler, Roger Espinoza, Sestinovic, you know, that group has won MLS Cup. That group has won three U.S. Open Cups, but. Not only had they never won a Champions League, but nobody in MLS has ever done it. And regardless of how many times it happens in the future, you'll always remember that team that finally broke through. And you also feel like you're, you're you know, carrying the flag for your league a little bit. And, and there's some pride that goes along with trying to prove that, that you've made this improvement. And uh, it sure went the other, uh, the other way, though.
0: What do you think happened,
2: especially that, that first game,
0: which was at, uh, at Monterey?
2: you know they, they played well what, what's funny about it is you sort of forget the fact that they played well for about the first seven or eight minutes and Monterey had an action within the game that's really early in the game that looks sort of innocent a couple passes back to Tim Milia as the goalie and Monterey almost swiped him and almost scored right off the bat and I think that that's sort of that's when it, it set in with the sporting Kansas City players of what they were in for. All of a sudden Monterey goes down and scores. They get another one. And I th- I think intimidation took over. You saw a sporting Kansas City team that regardless of how talented Monterey was, they weren't themselves. And a lot of it was was pretty easy X's and O's, just, just simple A to B passes that they weren't making. And so um, I just think all of that stuff comes down to mentality. And the, the reason their mentality was disrupted was the environment that they that they were in down there. And it must have been a great environment.
0: I, I watched the the streaming. It looked it looked fantastic, Pick, down picturesque.
2: There. Just even at the stadium it was yeah, empty. Yeah. yeah, The
0: the uh, the populist design stadium. Yeah, true. That they played true, in. Yeah. So um, so the final was five to nothing. It was two nothing at halftime, and that's I remember right. uh, Monterey scored right at the beginning of the second half, and that's when I just. You know, let down. It's Just oh, they're not going to get it. They're, yeah. they're not going to get it done. Uh, and then five to two was the was was the score on the uh, the game. And sporting sporting scored first. Yeah, and, and didn't I wouldn't say controlled the game, but but uh, had pretty pretty good showing for a while. Yeah,
2: and I think that you know when when people like you and me look at that, you say just just punt this match. You've got a match in three days play your backups, let some other guys get some experience, but they absolutely went into that match thinking they could overcome the 5-0 deficit, which no team had ever done before, so you can certainly argue whether or not that was the right strategy. But they played those first 20 minutes like, we have a shot in this match, they scored right away, they felt like they probably should have gotten a PK, Sestanovic got kicked in the box, and they, they felt like they could have been up two nothing already, and then they gave up a, a goal that they never should have given up. The, the result of a tactical error, and all of a sudden, you know, especially with the away goal tiebreaker, you've, you've got to score six, and <laughs> it, it's it's over at that point. Right.
0: Okay. So Sporting uh, plays Saturday at uh, San, Jose. San Jose. Just the idea of with the. the the Concacaf competition out of off the schedule they can kind of return to a little bit of normalcy right
2: yeah I think the biggest thing is they've played so many you know they've played five matches in the last 16 days as of Sunday so they went through a similar stretch to open the season then had about a week off and I think that the most important thing for them over this next week is they're actually going to get a practice when when you're playing every three or four days every practice you know the day after a game you don't make the starters go at all. Today, Tuesday, two days after a game, even the starters are only slightly jogging around because you're still working on that you know, post post-hab stuff. So um, the biggest thing is they actually get to implement some stuff that, that they've probably been wanting to do throughout the year, but there's just not enough time to do it when you're playing that many matches. So what's your expectation for, for Saturday? I think that they'll – you know, San Jose is is one of the weaker teams in, in the Western Conference, so if you're sporting Kansas City and you're a team that plans on finishing the, those top two spots, and I, I think that they're capable of doing that, th- these are these are some of the times you need to steal points in the road, and I think they should be able to get a win. Excellent.
0: All right, Sam McDowell, thanks so much for, for joining us here, and uh, we, we're looking forward to the um, – John Luca Busio feature that that's coming yeah, up. should be um, later this
2: month. Very good.
0: And listen, we've mentioned many stories in this podcast. Um, you can find links to Vahe Gregorian's column on Tyreek Hill, um, Sam's story about the, the the draw with the Red Bulls on Saturday, my story about former Chiefs tight end Walter White, and some of his impact uh, as the uh, Chiefs ambassador. Um, and you can find all these stories on KansasCity.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.